Hi to our podcast audience and to our online listeners. I've got a favor and an offer to ask you. If you are subscribed via Apple Podcasts, take a moment to write a review. A, we love to hear your feedback. It inspires me and the crew tremendously. And B, we'll put you in the pool that could get included in an upcoming show. Want to hear your review on the air? What do you say? Now, on with this week's show. Hi, I'm Laura Flanders, and this is The Laura Flanders Show, the TV and radio program that seeks to raise radical spirits by interviewing forward-thinking people with real-life models of shifting power from the few to the many in the worlds of arts, entrepreneurship, and governance. I wanted to be a real writer, but I couldn't bring myself to think myself a real poet. How many budding writers have had that thought? Especially when they're not like the mostly older, mostly male poets and more appropriate poets of the canon. That's what even rabble-rousing, award-winning, bring-down-the-house poet Stacey Ann Chin turns out to have thought. Even as she starred in Russell Simmons' Deaf Poetry Jam on Broadway and on HBO, almost as soon as she arrived in the U.S. seeking refuge from the violence of her homeland, Jamaica. Out proud and one hell of a poet, Stacey Ann Chin. This is The Laura Flanders Show, the place where the people who say it can't be done take a back seat to the people who are doing it. Welcome. Finally, so happy this happened, she was persuaded that it was time the world needed a real published book of her poems, Appropriate Be Damned. Crossfire is the name. It is just out from Haymarket Books. Heaven, thank you. Jesus, be glad. <laughs> Stacey Ann, thank you so much for doing this. And oh, for coming thanks in. for having me, Laura. I just heard you in the green room. Ah. And a young woman said, actually, I'm a poet. Mm-hmm. And you said, where's your book? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't had a book for 30 years. I know, I know, I know. Guilty as charged, guilty as charged. And still rather a reluctant published poet just so now. So what? what was the reluctance about? Uh, it's many things. I mean, I grew up in like, you know, post-colonial, post-post-colonial Jamaica. Oh, well, that'll do it. You know, re- <laughs> reading the works of T.S. Eliot and John Donne and such uh, writers and studying the works of, you know, uh, mostly male poets. And then I met uh, Derek Walcott, who invited me to study with him. And I went and studied with him. Also from the, well, from St. Lucia, I think. From St. Lucia. And yeah, he was a celebrated writer and poet. And he would say to me, you really do have a talent with a turn of phrase, but you would be such a good writer if you would just abandon this feminist Mm. ideology and stop writing about your vagina. And he actually said something like words like rape don't belong in a poem. (laughs) How many generations have been told that, do you think? I imagine it's more than one. <laughs> and it, but it affected you, even you. Uh, even me, I mean, you know, um, it's so interesting how my whole life I've been dukes up, yeah. ready to fight, loud, you know, resistant. If there's a noise to be made, I'm probably in the middle of that noise making. And then when I was attacked on campus in Jamaica, um, when I came out as a lesbian and I was uh, assaulted by um, some boys in a bathroom, the thing that stopped me from talking about it was not the thing itself. I mean, I'm sure I carried some shame about my own assault, but the thing that made me not say a word is my not having said a word during the attack. Hmm. I was so ashamed of 
the complete turnaround mm. from being so loud and so rebellious and in your face and I don't take it from anybody. And, and I didn't say a word during that attack at all. I let them do whatever they wanted to do. And I think I was so ashamed of that, you know, because I had kind of built my identity on being a loudmouth, being a person who would hit back, a person who would always speak out, a person who would never lie still while 12 boys did whatever they wanted with my body. And that carried through into your anxiety about thinking of yourself as a poet? I think my work is so deeply informed by issues of being a woman, issues of living in a body tagged female at birth. You know, my vagina is very present in my work. The way that I experience the world as a result of having the ability to, to carry a human being to, into its own existence. And, and all the works that I had read, even though I understood the power of speaking out for women's rights, speaking out against um, systematic oppression, there was a way that poetry existed in my head as a thing of quiet beauty, a thing of grace, a thing of ethereal, philosophical, meandering somewhere in the clouds, somewhere. They weren't visceral yawps delivered from stage out from a place of, of pain and survival and uh, shame. So as you collected the work to put it between two covers, mm -hmm. does it seem different to you? I am... Um, it brings up a lot. Ugh. <laughs> you know, I'm, I believe in the work that I do. I believe it is necessary in order for us to survive. I believe that without these screams, without these marches, without this push towards insisting that we exist and that we, we, we have been, been hurt and that we, we intend to keep breathing. Yeah. Without that, we are dead. And those um, who have cruelty at the center of who they are will win. Yeah. And I never, ever, ever, ever will allow that to happen as long as I have breath, as long as people around me who are resistant. And, and so I understand the power of that. But there's a way that the institutions given over to longevity and legacy, even as I understand how important my work is, I certainly did not take ownership of any of that institutionalized legacy as my own. In fact, I have lived outside of it and even like worn that as a kind of stripe that I'm outside of it. And so inside of it, I'm, um, I stand very like weirdly, you know, like Audre Lorde said. <laughs> I love you so much, Stacian. And I just have to say that I think I hear something that is so important, which somehow has to do with allowing yourself to be in a canon. You know, allowing yourself, your words to Allowing exist. them to take these words that Outs. have been my own yep. weapon. Yeah. And to lay it in a museum somewhere. <laughs> I, I worry that it might be a kind of death for them. Yes. Okay. Well, I don't think it will be for one thing. I, as you know, far as I can see, you're not yeah. about to stop performing. For sure. For sure. Um, I think there's an extraordinary future for people to be able to read your work. And your work is informed by people who, like you, 
stood outside of the academy, outside of a canon, outside of publishing, mm -hmm. as well as inside it. And thank yes. God they also stood inside it. Ab absolutely, because I mean, all of my favorites, I never met them. Um, I never met any of them, you know, the Audre Lords, the June Jordans, I, Pat Parker, Pat Parker. I never had a chance to meet them, but they they saved my life every day, all day. And Toni Morrison just passed. And again, another one who left. And the only thing I have of her are these pages that she spat out and left before she died as a child. Books saved me, you know, like I, I never knew who wrote them or what the importance of their lives were, but I read them to stay alive when like my life was so difficult. And it's almost like, I mean, you've just gone through having a kid. Oh, Lord. Yes. And you have beautiful <laughs> lines in the book. There's a line in there. Being a dyke, I'll make my own child. Is that one of your lines? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it sounds through you. It sounds, yes, it sounds like a young, young Stacey Ann. Yes. <laughs> In a way, and so that you have a whole one-woman show about, about that experience. Yes. Maybe to be a TV show, who knows, it's, it's piloted. We are, we are working on that. And, you know, um, hopefully, you know, hopefully it'll be exactly what we want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, this industry is a difficult industry to, um, to, to try to do work that is resistant and you true. Know, radical and, and true. authentic. <laughs> Well, so maybe having a child was good practice for sending your poems out into the world to be independent. Yes. Yeah, I, I really do believe that this is a good move. This is, I'm happy about them. But it, you know, I'm also, again, ashamed of the fact that that's the reason I didn't publish. And for such a long time, I didn't. And people kept asking, like, publishers, why don't you just let us do it? Why don't? And I kept, no, 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 they're not ready yet. Oh, I don't, I'm, I don't have the time. Oh, but at the center of it was that I maybe thought I wasn't good enough. And still not sure if I'm good enough, you know. And that's, that's okay, because um, courage is not acting without anxiety or fear. It is acting in the face of. And Regardless. Yes. Philippe Petit describes the wire walker that walked between the two trade towers, you know, and people ask him, yes. were you afraid? And he said, I was afraid, but it was a detail. <laughs> That's kind of fabulous. That's kind of fabulous. I'm, I think I'm going to use that from now on. <laughs> I am afraid, but that's mere detail. It's a detail. This is the Laura Flanders Show. I'm Laura. My guest is award-winning poet, performer, novelist, and activist Stacey Anchin. Her first anthology of poems was just released on Haymarket Books, Crossfire, A Litany for Survival. Now, she is no stranger to this show. You'll find a lot more from Stacey Ann in our archives. But this is her very first book. And as you'll hear, it's a big deal for Stacey Ann. You can find her past appearances at our website. That's lauraflanders.org. And while you're there, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. We see that a lot of you are listening at the website, streaming, or hearing us on community radio. But if you're not subscribed to the podcast, you miss out on audio extras, like my commentaries. We call them the F word. The latest is all about the dust-up on the debate stage between Senators Warren and Sanders. The Twitterverse is not the reality in Iowa, I found. Next, I ask poet Stacey Ann Chen as a griot to share her thoughts on what's happening in the world and her advice on dealing with grief in these times. First, here's an excerpt of Stacey Ann performing for us in studio, part of her poem, In Those Years. If only out of vanity I have wondered, 
What kind of woman will I be when I am well past the summer of my raging youth? Will I still be raising revolutionary flags and making impassioned speeches that stir up anger in the hearts of pseudo-liberals dressed in navy blue conservative wear? In those years when I'm grateful, I still have that good, sturdy bladder. Will I be more grateful for that than for any forward movement in any current political cause? Will I wish then that I had taken that job working at the bank? Or the one to watch that old lady drool all over her soft boiled eggs as she tells me how she was a raving beauty in the 60s, how she could have had any man she wanted, but she chose the one least likely to succeed. And that's why when the son of a bitch died, she had to move into this place because it was government subsidized. Will I tell my young attendant how slender I was then? Paint for her pictures of a young me more beautiful than I ever was, if only to make her forget this shriveled paper skin, this faint smell of urine that tends to linger in places built especially for revolutionaries whose causes have been won or forgotten. Will I still be lesbian then? Well, I think the poems are extraordinary, and I do find them somewhat different from the performance. The performance is visceral, and, and we'll feel that on this show. But the poetry stands up. It's not dependent on the performance. I mean, some performance poets, naming no names, <laughs> when you see the page, Don't name it's disappointing. Mm. You realize, oh, it needed the propulsion of the performance. And I also not worried the, about that. Too. Not true. Because they say that about... Um, not true yeah. in well, this case. It's good to know. And that's, that's, that's a kind compliment. Thank you. No, well, it's really true. I, I could go on and on. Um, <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about what's happening in the world? Do you want to talk about what you're doing right now? Because I know I've forced you to be super personal. Right, and I don't want you to feel right. denied. And, and, we, and, and weeping. Come on, Laura, <laughs> stop it. I mean, there should be no weeping. This is all feminists, fists in the air, ready, well, you know, ready to take on this orange-headed I think we're in a period snake. where if we don't deal with the grief we're feeling, we're not going to get the power that also comes from that. Indeed. Um, if we're not feeling grief in this moment, we're just not paying attention. I know. I mean, I... I, I, I I oscillate, vacillate, swing between wanting to just being an ostrich and stick my head in the and say like, oh, yes, you know, I will just, you know, go over here and like use my Ziploc bags and my overpackaging and, you know, drive in my car that is using fuel that is draining the earth's sustenance. Uh, I would just do that and not pay attention to what's happening in the world. Um, but, but you can't do that because no. of Zuri. And, and because the, the consequences for all of us will be catastrophic. I mean, and, and not far off, you know, I mean, you know, we hope to live like another four, at least four decades. Like that's like within the margin of like disintegration. Right? But you have this little person living. Yes. And she, you know, she might live to be at least 51, right? <laughs> You're laughing. I mean, it, it's, it's the kind of, you know, I mean, I just saw the Joker. I haven't seen him. And, and it's this crazy, you know, phenomenon of this man who laughs whenever he's like confronted with things that he can't make sense of. Um, and I, I, I feel that way, too. Like, and I feel like as a as a nation, as a as a planet, this is how we're responding to Trump. Yeah. I think we're all just sitting around. And because we don't want to put our forehead between our knees and hold our stomachs and then weep and, on, you know, until we die. We laugh at how small his hands are and how inept his emotional you know, barometer is and how bad his grammar is. But I mean, the consequences are already catastrophic. I mean, what's happening in Syria, you know, 
the G7 will be at the Trump national blah, 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 Doral, blah, blah, Don't blah. worry, he won't profit, he says. And he won't profit. He's assured us that he will not profit. He won't show us the, the figures. Oh, funny. But, but, but just trust him. Uh, it's like, it's, I, 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 I am struggling to find the words that will articulate this moment for us. I am struggling to find a way to make sense of how we must respond to this phenomenon. So what difference does Zuri make? And what about that beautiful YouTube series you have going? Oh, she's such a pumpkin pie. I mean, I look at her every day and I wonder and I think to myself, oh, this is what you look like before you're broken. <laughs> <laughs> like, my goodness, the thing is whole. It is beautiful. It's burning bright and pure. And it is able to weep without deeply informing trauma underneath. It giggles with tears still on its face. She is amazing. She's able to hold her boundaries, but still, you know, be kind. Um, the last living room protest we did, we did she was... Um, she was talking about, I was asking her about uh, this kid on the playground who said to her, I don't want to play. You know, she's a kid who flutters over to everybody and says, do you want to play? <laughs> and then the kid says, no. And then she kind of flips to the next kid and like goes to, and I said, well, aren't you like sad? Are you unhappy about it? And she says, no. I said, are your feelings hurt? Because here I am, abandoned child. You know, if they tell me that I can't drink from that <laughs> water fountain or if I can't sit in this chair because the chair will break. <laughs> I'm weeping because I feel rejected. And the kid is like, no, maybe he didn't feel like playing or maybe he didn't feel like making friends today or maybe he played a lot with his other friend and now he just wants to be alone. But you should just let people decide. And that was the end of the conversation. And this happened like out of nowhere. You can see me in the video going like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> a you're raising her a little different from how you were raised. I think, you know, I, I, this, this notion of raising the kid, I don't know if that happens. I'm kind of just staying out of, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing the things that I know for sure will break her. So I'm kind of staying out of her way a little bit, just kind of letting her navigate uh, as much as I can, as much as someone with all my trauma can. Um, but I learned so much from her. I mean, I'm learning that you can be strong and fierce and be kind at the same time. Before Zuri's arrival, I wasn't, aware that I wasn't so deeply aware of that as a truth. Well, and you can be alive and a performer yeah. and a published poet at the same time. Yes, I, I thought that um, I worried that when she was born and I, I thought everything about her was so cute. Her feet and her poop and her eyes and her fingernails. <laughs> and then I worried that I wasn't going to be fierce anymore, that I couldn't find any anger. And then the first person who said something to me online about her I wrote this like searing, like cuss him out thing. And I was like, okay, I'm just better at like channeling it now. And, and I'm able to find joy more now, I think. Uh, you, can, you can find that poem, the title of which we can't say on the oh, air, um, oh. in the book. But before we end, we're going to let our wonderful friend Stacey Ann Chin perform. Here's Stacey Ann. Not my president. Every time I step to a microphone... I develop an uncontrollable urge to shout, Donald J. Trump is not my president. 
And that's not just because I didn't vote for the fool, not just because he's become the latest tool members of the contemporary clan pull out from their modern day sheets to remind us of when their cloths covered this land with a brutal hand of white racist terror. If you have ever had to dress down some melanin challenge mother talking about all lives matter, raise your right hand and say amen. Amen. So you know exactly what I mean when I say Donald J. Trump cannot be recognized as no mother president. First of all, he's been on this planet for 70 years and still has the vocabulary of a third grader. Not to mention his mouth always looks to me like an incontinent ass that can't hold its own bull in, spewing the septic defecation of ignorance and discrimination, contaminating the already polluted air with inarticulate entitlement, steady providing validation for all them other white men who feel like equal opportunity for anyone else means that we are trying to mother oppress them. Donald J. Trump could never be my president because he began his political career by questioning the legitimacy of the first black president elected in a country built upon the hardworking backs of African-Americans. He could never be my president because he had the gall to call for President Barack Obama's birth papers as if this were 1831 and he was one of them cruel white men free to grab any black body and demand documents. In the America we are currently fighting to create, men like that can no more lead us than can a predominantly white police force protect the black descendants of the very brown bodies they enslaved to gain the racial advantage they refuse to let go of, no matter how obvious it is that in America, race and opportunity are linked like poverty and the prison system, like rape and a one's right to choose, like who has wealth and who pays the least taxes, like gerrymandering and who gets the right to vote. It's time poor white folks admitted they've been sold a six for a nine. This con artistry of race and sex and economy isn't new. Donald J. Trump is just another white knot in the noose they keep tying around the necks of the disadvantaged majority. Just another fairy tale they tell in the elaborate inheritance of lies they sell to anyone who isn't rich and white and longing for the good old days when racially cloaked narratives of nationality was the only history available to average Americans, fed to them to keep them from being woke to keep them from poking too deeply into whose pockets most of the wealth that ordinary people work for from nine to five every day in this country goes. Black people have had enough of this systematic bull****. Between 500 years of unrelenting racism and the recent rise of this fake ass, overtanned, idiotic orangutan, black bodies have got no more tears left to cry. We ready to try some next level sh to resurrect some Black Panther, Angela Davis, Asata Shakur sh I'm willing to bet the same is true for the rest of y'all mother I'm willing to bet you know that things as they are are unacceptable. Having spent my whole life fighting for better than this, I refuse to give deference to this walking, shameful evidence of what fear and prejudice and a little Russian interference can birth in a nation obviously asleep at the wheel of its own democratic elections. Donald J. Trump is not my president because his tenure in the White House is a result of unchecked sexism, a culture of rape, and the ever-present undercurrents of a newly emerging 21st century Ku Klux Klan. Donald J. Trump is not my president. 
president because he wants to disappear my Muslim neighbors, because he wants to deport Mexican-American families, because he fails to recognize that the only Americans who are not immigrant Americans are native Americans. He is not my president because he sexualizes his very own daughter. He will never be my president because I want to demonstrate to my daughter that a man who boasts about grabbing women by their vaginas without their permission does not ever deserve her respect no matter who he is or how rich he says he is that even though that egotistical airhead masterminded and pulled off the greatest political coup in the history of modern elections he remains nothing but an illegitimate embarrassing burden i hope we won't have to carry for the whole four years every time i see this orange snake slithering around on my screen i want to break the TV, rip it off the wall and let it fall from my fifth floor apartment. I wish I could just close my eyes and pretend that none of this is happening. But if we do not keep our eyes open, the consequences will be catastrophic. Every kind of resistance is necessary. When the arm of injustice persists, we have to develop new ways to resist. We have to keep trying. We have to keep changing tactics. We have got to find a way to impeach this mother. We cannot be discouraged by these political tricks of distraction. And it might take longer than we anticipate to get this off our TVs, out of office, and outside of our collective consciousness. It could take a year or two, God help us it could take another four but no matter how long it takes we have to keep to the truth of what we know this buffoon cannot lead us so we cannot follow him to the sordid places he will have us go no matter how normalized the actions of this incredibly imbecilic and inhumane administration no matter how numb we become to what the news anchors say you have to say something different to yourself Donald J. Trump is not my president has never been my president will never be my president you have to make that mantra you have to say it to your fish your parrot your republican counterpart say it over and over and over again to them say it and one day one day when everyone else is listening when everyone else sees that he is no more than a snake oil salesman no more than a cheeto dusted freddy krueger invading every aspect of our lives like all the great walls of divisiveness built before him he will fall, revealing the yellow bellies of all those who brought him to power. And whoever is responsible, whoever is responsible, be it Vladimir or one of them funny looking Trump children, whoever it is, that Iago mother will have to answer to the rest of humanity for this small handed wrinkle in this bomb warp in time. Thank you so much. That was Stacey Ann Chen performing Not My President from Crossfire, A Litany for Survival, her long-awaited anthology just released on Haymarket Books. You can find a whole lot more about her book, her past appearances, and some recordings of more poems coming up at patreon.com forward slash the LF show. That's where our member subscribers share their thoughts on the program I weigh in too, and we all share our thoughts on what we're hearing, seeing, and doing in these times. Are you writing poetry? Share. I'll see you at Patreon. 
That's it for the program. You can find our Patreon community at patreon.com forward slash the LF show. 